and uh, welcome to another episode of Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm joined uh, as ever uh, by the lovely, the wonderful Christy Mayer, uh, coming to you from uh, the uh, the environs of Oak Hill College today, looking at your background there. Stop it, Andy. Stop it. Yeah, I am. Oh, I have to say, I'm having... You smell it coming yeah. the books. The learning. Look at all the books. Look at the bare shelves behind me, which I've yet to fill. <laughs> yeah. It's space for all the books you're going to write, mate. That's what it is. Oh, no, no. Space for all the offcuts of the, the PhD, which is... Um... Yeah, taking its time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have an exciting guest uh, for you today. We thought just to confuse listeners, if you're new to uh, the show, we are joined today uh, by the very uh, the very wonderful and the very exciting, the very dynamic Andy Moore. Uh, Andy, welcome to, the, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, you guys. Great to be with you. And it's going to confuse people because we have two Andys on the show and we have Moore and Mayor. So... <laughs> Such a bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> So, you lows with Bannister's humour. Well, I do remember, I think the first, well, Andy and I, you know, you, we've known each other for years, right? But I remember, you, do you remember when you and I did an event um, in Salisbury about four years ago? And uh, there, was you, there was you, there was me, and there was another guy we've had on the podcast, Andy Kind. And that was just hilarious. Oh, no. <laughs> That's right. I remember it well. We that had, was a uh, very confusing day. Yes. <laughs> with Andy Bannister. Uh, more Andy and another kind of Andy. So there we are. But there we are. But today, just two Andys and, and more in there. This gets worse. <laughs> so just, um, Andy, for people who don't know who you are, tell us a bit about, you know, who are you uh, and what, what do you do? Yeah, of course. Well, I guess there's kind of two things that are part of my story. One is um, a love for business and finance and always having been a kind of entrepreneurial chap. Um, and secondly, evangelistic ministry. Um, so those two things have interwoven throughout my career, and I've done some in major emphases and some in minor emphases across across different periods of time. But I started um, as a finance guy working as an accountant with one of the big four accounting firms in London, in Canary Wharf, um, as an advisor to private equity houses, which was very interesting. Got to do lots of excellent uh, things and learned so many uh, you know, things about the economy during those years. Um, but then, quite unexpectedly, and much to the surprise of my colleagues, I flipped and went into full-time evangelistic ministry and did that for, for close to five years with a kind of focus on trying to explain the gospel and bring people to encounters with Christ through the lens of questions of work and of business and the workplace. Um, and then COVID and some other things conspired to give me a flip back into business. And I'm now in the world of venture capital and um, specializing in what's referred to as the impact economy, trying to raise uh, capital and um, create investment opportunities for businesses that are pursuing a profit, but with their business model, trying to solve a social or environmental problem. So it's a great kind of weaving together of my sense of purpose from the Christian worldview uh, with some of those harder finance skills that I acquired earlier in my life. What a wonderful selection of experiences there, Andy. You you mentioned um, something about investigating questions in the workplace. Uh, just, I'd, we'd love to hear more about that. Me particularly in the, you mentioned that you're working Canary Wharf and elsewhere. What kind of questions did you did you encounter in the workplace? Hmm. Great question. You know, the thing about the that kind of experience of city life and the 
the the lifestyles of people that work in this particular sector of the economy is really probably, as you guessed, working really hard, all sorts of long hours, and maybe not creating too much time uh, to think about the big questions. But actually, whenever you spend a lot of time in that kind of context and it comes to the end of the day, people are breathing out and you find that there's a real opportunity actually just to chat about these things. And there's one conversation that I will never forget, which gave me an insight into what I think are the two biggest questions of business. And the first one is to do with purpose. What am I doing here? Why am I working so hard? What's the point? Are all of these sacrifices and time away from my family and kids, are they worthwhile? And that's definitely a question that many people who are, let's say, the midpoint or senior in their careers. But purpose is also a question that people starting their careers um, are working through because if you're a graduate now or somebody who can you know, basically choose to do whatever you want to do with your life, that's one of the great freedoms of the world we live in now. Um, but what should you choose to do? Uh, you, there's a kind of paralysis of choice that I think many many young people are, are thinking through. So I'd say that question of purpose is, is definitely number one. And indeed, you know, why we're all wrapped up in this system of capitalism. And do we think that's a good idea on the other side of everything we've exposed with COVID? Uh, but then maybe more personally, you know, people also kind of wrestle with what I would say is a question of kind of personal integrity and how is my heart being shaped in this world that I'm part of? And am I being true to the place I grew up in or the family that, that I'm part of? And it's true that pressure can lead people to find themselves in compromising situations and with accounting standards or different questions to do with banking. There's ambiguity, which raises that question of integrity. So I think it's purpose and integrity were the two things that I saw most often. Mm. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think that there are there are these, these huge kind of questions out there. Obviously, I mean, and you've been thinking about this for for a while. You've 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 been in those two worlds, both of, of ministry and work, which has given you wonderful preparation for engaging with some of this. But perhaps somebody who's listening to this who who hasn't had all that experience that you've had, I guess a couple of questions that are sort of connected, if I may. Firstly, how do you learn to recognise those? questions you mentioned purpose and integrity are there things we can be doing as, as christians to be perhaps more attuned to the questions our friends are asking and then the, perhaps the second half of that question how do we then connect it to the gospel because i know some of those christians have a danger of going oh you're asking questions about purpose jesus and that that's, mm. that's sort of right in a sense but it's a sort of quite a leap how do we so how do we how do we learn to discern what the questions are and then how do we take people on conversations from those in a gospel direction naturally any, any kind of advice or wisdom you could you could share absolutely and there's no genius on my part for for having discerned this it caught me by complete surprise one day um in one of these conversations at the end of a of a long kind of experience in the office and i actually remember exactly which day this was it was the 22nd of july 2013 and i remember it for two reasons one 22 over 7 is the fractional approximation to the value of pi, 3.14. You are or a whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. But also, after this conversation, I went back to my hotel room, and um, on the TV, it was the BBC reporting that Prince George had been born to William and Kate. So, it, I don't know, it just always sticks in my mind. But that was a conversation uh, with a colleague, and uh, it's been, as I described, this kind of 
in the kind of melting pot experience, working extremely hard, much longer hours than we should have done. And he got a message from his girlfriend and his girlfriend wanted to break up with him. And he basically just had this meltdown right in front of me where he expressed all of these things that I kind of described about three minutes ago. Is this worth it? Am I in the right place? All of these sacrifices I'm making, it's just caused this breakup with the girl who I really loved. I thought she was the one. All I did was listen. And then I, so that would be the first tip. Your colleagues are asking questions, maybe not uh, explicitly, but implicitly in the other things that they say. And if we're in a position where we're just kind of taking what they say seriously as Christians, rather than just being poised always to leap onto the thing that we want to say, but actually to listen. And then maybe I could use the phrase, discern what the question behind the question is, right? So the guy who says, my girlfriend's dumped me. I don't know if I want to work here anymore. It's so hard. Well, he is going through some kind of question of purpose and all of the amazing things that the Christian worldview allows us to say, how we can talk about hope um, and how our work matters, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just listening out is the first tip. Uh, the second tip would be trying to discern that question behind the question. That's such excellent um, tips, Sandy, and just so easy to do, aren't they? I mean, I think Andy and I often say that one of the most um, the biggest challenges in evangelism is thinking about what's the next best question um, to ask. And, and they're great kind of tips of ways into that. Um, also, I mean, it's such a unique workplace and environment that, that you were in. How did you find living out your faith um, in the workplace? I mean, did you see it as only as an opportunity, as a platform for evangelism? Or do you think there's something deeper as well going on on there for the Christian in the workplace? Mm. There's so many things connected with this. I can, I'll just share my own kind of personal story and, and everyone's workplace culture varies from, from workplace to workplace and my experience won't necessarily map onto everyone's. But there was a kind of real freedom in the expression of faith in my workplace where there was a recognized uh, Christian fellowship who were able to get together once a month and have an event or a little prayer meeting or something like that. And that was part of the kind of diversity culture of the whole organization. And of course, there was the Jewish group and the Islamic group and the LGBT group. We also had our little group. And to that extent, there was a freedom. But on the other side of that, you know, I must confess that Certainly when I started um, in that workplace, there was a little bit of embarrassment that came for it as well. And um, the, the particular team that I was um, part of uh, was a team that had 90 members of staff, 88 of which uh, were men. So there was an extremely kind of bravado, laddish, masculine sort of thing going on, which just created banter around faith, really. And I acquired this nickname of being the priest. Um, so I was known as the priest around, around my team for a couple of years, which didn't bother me too much. I was okay with that, but I wouldn't want to kind of pretend that there was no such banter or, or teasing from time to time. Um, but I, I must say that as, as things continued on, I was with this particular company for, for close to 10 years and towards the end, we really felt that um, as a Christian group, we, we had a great place within the organization. We were given opportunities to talk about our faith, and we felt to be a blessing to colleagues. 
you know, related to that, Andy, one thing I'm I'm struck by, and I think you and I have talked about this before, in, in fact, is that um, you know, in the workplaces, there's, there's obviously been quite a it's quite a shifting culture going on, isn't there? As I think people are beginning to ask some critical questions around capitalism, the idea that you know, mm-hmm. just just profit is perhaps not the only thing out there. You know, companies want to be more environmentally aware, more socially conscious. And so forth. My hunch is that is also creating a space for for, for Christians to to sort of uh, you know get involved in conversations that might not have happened in workplaces, you know, five ten years ago. Am I right? Is there something in that? And in which case, what again would be perhaps your your advice on this? Yeah, to I think some of those conversations and see those not just as opportunities, but also again a way for you know Christians to really be a blessing to the workplace by their presence, not just their words. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Andy. You know, there are three or four different reasons that we could cite for having brought us to this point. You know, the financial crisis of 2008 and this kind of crippling inflation that we're experiencing now and the crisis of climate change, um, all of which are things that big business um, has been very culpable for. Um, There is just this kind of agreement everywhere that something needs to change um, and that business needs to be part of good news for the world as opposed to only creating problems. And so um, I think the first thing that started was this kind of so-called ESG movement. Maybe, you know, six or seven years ago, businesses started to want to tell each other, tell themselves, you know, how sustainable we are and how well governed we are and how diverse we are. And you might summarize that morally as saying businesses realizes, realized they had to stop doing bad stuff. But I've noticed a real transition in the past maybe three to four years across the moral Rubicon into businesses actually wanting to do good stuff. So you see the difference between stopping doing bad and then actively pursuing the good. And this is actually the particular area of business that I'm involved in mostly now. Some people refer to it as the impact economy, where businesses are now trying to structure profitable business models around the solution to a social or environmental problem. And I think For Christians, there's absolutely loads to say about this trend, loads to welcome about it, loads to praise about business wanting to solve climate change and to be a better place to work and to solve social problems. I think we need to be encouragers of our colleagues who who kind of feel instinctively that this is who they want to be. We can we can be those encouragers. But when opportunity arises, you know, I think there's a chance to continue on and look through the lens of that discovery, the phrase question behind the question we had just a few moments ago. Well, what's really going on and why do we feel this kind of optimism? Why do we think the future is worth trying to rescue? Um, And as Christians, we've got so much to say about that. Um, You know, I get to explain my motivation for being part of the impact economy because I think God wants to rescue the world. I think he demonstrated that when he rose Jesus from the dead. And I've got hope in the future because Christ is going to return. It's a story which makes sense of all of these moral convictions that business is starting to discover. And when you contrast that Christian worldview with other possible worldviews, you know, you see just how amazing the gospel actually is. You know, consider someone who um, doesn't believe there's a God, they, they're within an atheistic worldview, but they still feel 
they want business to do good. Well, why? If the universe is just going to burn up in a million years from now and nothing really matters. Or if you're a worldview from the East where um, you believe that history just goes around in circles and there's no linear progression, there's no particular hope, that doesn't make much sense either. So I think where we can apply that Christian worldview to these moral convictions arising within business, there's something really powerful there. Thank you, Andy. There's some really rich um, reasons for, for engaging and being part of the impact um, economy. I was just thinking uh, about what you just shared. And just to ask you a slightly more provocative question, if I may. Ooh la you, la. Were, <laughs> you, you were just um, talking about addressing some of the underlying presuppositions of different worldviews and how they engage um, with some of these uh, projects. How how um, fruitful do you find that? I mean, to kind of say to somebody who's an atheist, well, you know, we're nothing but time plus chance plus matter. What real reason do you have for engaging with this? Is that is that persuasive? Is you know, how do you engage with that? Yeah. Do you know what, Chrissy? I think that's such an insightful question because possibly that picking fault in what other people believe and trying to tell them why they're wrong and why Christianity is true is a style that might have worked 10, 15 years ago when we thought we were fighting with Richard Dawkins. Your question is so insightful because I think now, especially post-COVID, where people don't believe in any ideas as far as I can see anymore, everything just seems to be broken. Mm. They're just looking around for something that works Mm. and something that brings a sense of fulfillment I actually really like what the evangelist um, in Sydney uh, by the name of Sam Chan has to say about this. And I've forgotten the name of his book, but maybe we can find it in time. Um, How to talk this, about Jesus without sounding like an idiot. Is it something like that? Well, that's that's, that's, that's my book, dude. That's... Uh... <laughs> Sam's is, <laughs> Sam's is, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy. That guy, sorry, yours is. He's <laughs> that guy, there you go, that's the... Um... So all credit to Sam Chan, this was not my idea, this was his idea, but I really like his idea, where he says, let's change it round. Instead of telling the other person to begin with that their worldview is wrong and here's why it's wrong and it makes no sense and you should change your ideas and become a Christian, and then maybe in five years you'll kind of find that it works and it brings you joy and purpose and all of these things that people are searching for. Um, but actually, I'm going to start with uh, kind of telling you why you're wrong. You know, Sam Chan flips it around and says, start with the constructive message. Hey, this works. It actually does bring joy. I know uh, Jesus from myself. It helps me experience fulfillment. It gives me some foundation for when the questions of the world seem overwhelming or I don't know what's going on with COVID or I don't know what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. I find that there's something that I can hold on to which works and it changes my experience of this world. And I'm happily, so from that point on, you continue then to discover in this life of discipleship that it is also true and all of the ideas make sense and it contrasts very nicely with other possible worldviews. But I, I, when I read that, thought that's totally true. Um, and yeah, Christy, yeah. yeah, good to bring that out. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it, that I'm always struck by the idea there's nothing new under the sun because, of course, that's in a sense, it feels like we're back at 
you know, that very famous quote from Blaise Pascal, that if I was a true philosopher like Christian, I'd get absolutely right, but I can mangle, which is about the idea <laughs> of preaching and talking about the gospel in, in such a way that good people wish that it were true and then show them that it is, yeah. you know, tell that compelling story, you know, show why, why it's attractive and why it's persuasive and why, why you, why we trust Jesus and think he's amazing. And then yeah. in such a way that people are like, wow. Um, you know, we found this. And that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it, Andy? Which Andy we were directing that to? Yeah, that, that, that. Sorry, to you, Alistair, or to both of you. That's yeah. the harder thing to do, isn't it? To present the positive vision for, for faith in Christ. It's really yeah. hard to do. Well, I wonder whether, and I'd love to get the other Andy's take on, on this. I wonder, Andy, do you think it's one of the reasons we struggle, actually, is is I think it comes back to fear. We're afraid if we do that, we'll get shot down. You know, we still think we're perhaps living in that age of the new atheism. And together, the moment we say anything positive about, about faith, we're going to get the new atheism flung at us and everything else. And so in a sense, we that for, can force you onto the more defensive rather than the be positive, be winsome. Um, and then, you know, and then as you say, pick up these other questions and, and show how Christianity tells a better story um, and begin there. And there's a time needed when the there's a time when the critiques needed, but we start with a positive story. But I wonder whether we're too afraid that the moment we try that, we're going to get fired upon. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that came into my mind when you you know sort of began to describe the question, Andy, was how to me it feels not primarily an intellectual task. No, it is eventually an intellectual task, but. I'm actually someone who can compare the different experiences of being a, a quote-unquote kind of evangelist, tra- traveling around, speaking in different places, doing full-time ministry with the day-to-day grind of being part of the workplace. And, you know, constructing the positive message in those two different contexts is very, very different. And focusing on the workplace, the reason I say it's not predominantly an intellectual issue is actually – um, whether or not it's an experience and a joy and a kind of fulfillment that we are ourselves experiencing. And to that extent, we can't fake it whenever we try to say it to others. They actually see how we live every day. They see what we're like. They notice our character in challenging moments. Um, and that, I think, is what then gives you the license to then be able to bring the intellectual, constructive conversation into you know into the opportunity uh you know you guys will be really familiar with the you know the, the sort of mandate for apologetics and sharing our faith in this way 1 peter three fifteen, always be prepared to answer questions so there's this assumption that questions will come by virtue of the way that we've been living it out and so the constructive message to do with christianity is first and foremost one that needs to be written on our face um, as well as what comes out of our mouth. Mm. Andy Moore, what an utter pleasure it's been chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. My pleasure, guys. Um, forgive me for wittering on if I have done, but uh, <laughs> lovely to have joined you. No, not at all. I think there's so much there for us all to kind of chew on and to take away. Um, very thankful for your life and ministry, brother. Uh, that kind of brings us, sadly, to the end of this of this episode. Um, Andy Bannister, we'll be back again, won't we, in a couple of weeks' time with another guest? We will indeed. More guests, but not a more guest. <laughs> and it continues. <laughs> we we look forward to uh, we look forward to being with you in two weeks' time, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.